Blog Talk Radio. Black free thinkers, where we walk by sight with a bright flashlight to illuminate night. Free thought, we don't walk by faith in a lost mind state, cause it's not quite safe. We don't recruit, we're not peers from a church, so don't be spooked, we're not here to convert. The only truth that's not pulled from a text, show me proof that's not good after death. This is the challenge to think for yourself, break it out of the bottle and speak what you felt. 310982 4273 to get through A venue for community and this is the zone If you'd like to speak with Kim then pick up the phone 310-982-4273 to get through The next tree branch is Rainer and it's best to listen to Reason, science, and skepticism It's loaded with straight facts, inspiring and dope She can make Bill Nye retire with lab coat Humans are hilarious and every other Friday I'd like to hear commentary on culture people So I hit up Super Mario and bring in Emmeline To discuss why we're capable of ultra evil It's normal for my brain to have a two-way street But if there's collisions, well then you got to just mention it And don't be afraid of where the truth may lead Ignoring your position of cognitive dissonance When Father Teresa preaches, it's hard to stop So Kim paired me up with Alfred in the barbershop I have a sin family in all these places now As the free thought tree pollinates around This is the challenge to think for yourself Break it out of the bottle and speak what you felt 310-982-4273 to get through A venue for community and this is the zone If you'd like to speak with Kim then pick up the phone 310-982-4273 to get through Where we walk by sight with a bright flashlight to illuminate night we don't walk by faith in a lost mind state because it's not quite safe. How's it going, brother? Hey, how you doing? Yeah, I didn't hear the uh <laughs> I didn't hear the uh the unmuted sounds. Wanted to make sure y'all could hear me. I'm running a little late today. I'm actually gonna have your speakerphone right now, uh, on the way home, driving behind somebody really, really slow. But yeah, I, I definitely, definitely not have missed this episode for nothing because this one I think is this all the other episodes I did are still important, but this one is covering such a vast topic that it really needs to be addressed, especially in this, you know, post-Trayvon Martin, you know, quote-unquote, post-racial America, and it has a lot to do with, uh, you know, our perspective. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and let you take leave because I'm about to pull into the house right now and get on Skype. That's what's up, man. I'd be more than happy to. Um, And first of all, just welcome to the brother Alfred Mims, and I know Kim is on there with us too. I'd like to welcome everybody to, again, Black Freak Thinkers Radio. First things first, always we want to hear from you too as well. And like like Alfred said, man, we're gonna to touch on some real serious stuff. Uh and I, I you know, I just wanna welcome everybody and just to get into it, we're just gonna jump right into it. 
it's been one of those weeks. Um, you know, I don't think we've yet gotten a chance. You know, I could be wrong, but I don't think we've gotten a chance to any of us to really kind of get off of or get away from the aftermath of the George Zimmerman trial or verdict. Um, and I think rightfully so. I think that we, I think it's best that we don't. Um, I think it's best that we keep this fresh in our minds because doing so, it, it'll spur us to action. That's my hope. Um, that's my uh, desire that we all, that we, you know, take necessary steps and necessary action that there's not another Trayvon Martin um, case like this or things don't go that way again. Um, so that's that's a good thing. I think um, it's good to get people out there and get people um, going on something very important. Um, having said that, there's been this strange thing. I know if you've been on social media, Facebook, Twitter, whatever have you, um, there's been this, this this mindset or this, you know, thing that's going on. And now I'll just give an anecdote. A couple of days ago, I was hospitalized. I had to go to the ER. I had a don't ask. Um, but I went to the ER, and I'm sitting there, and for some strange reason, all across, any time I've ever been in a hospital, there's only two stations playing the Game Show Network and Fox News. It's like they just want to depress you as you're getting sick and make whatever you're feeling worse. But I'm sitting there in the ER, and I'm watching Fox News. And, of course, the O'Reilly factor's on, adding insult to injury. I'm sitting there, and, of course, he's doing his usual tirades, Obamacare, you know, this, that, the other, you know, liberals bad, conservatives good, girl, you know, and I ignored most of it. But he gets into his talking point segment of the show. And, um, you know, Mr. O'Reilly goes into this whole tirade and this diatribe about why black-on-black violence happens. He brings up the issue of black-on-black violence, um, and I'll speak more on that shortly. But he goes into why it's happening and, this, and, and you know, it's happening because there aren't any good schools and that's our fault as black people and there's, there's no good, you know, parents in the home and fathers are out in the streets shooting dice and things he may have picked up from a 1970s black exploitation movie and, you know, black mothers apparently are all still making butter. I don't know, but this is his opinion. But he's taking this very authoritative tone. And how that ties into things, I guess, the topic of tonight's show is, is the issue of privilege. I'm sure, again, if you've been on you know, your Facebook or your Twitter feeds or whatever, you've had this thing where folks are saying stuff like, oh, well, you know, it, it wasn't about race. That's the first thing you hear. And there's this level of it wasn't about race, and even if it was, George Zimmerman wasn't white, he's Hispanic, and you should let it go. Why does everything have to be about race? Racism is over. You have a black president. And you would hear these things, and I don't know, for any rational person, it would be, on the on the light side, on the on the in the best case scenario, it's offensive. In worst case scenario, someone's just calling you foolish. Um, and exactly. It ties into, exactly. It ties into our topic. Now, I was going to say another another argument that I've heard from people in the free thought community is that mm-hmm. those of us that disagree, we're going on emotion. We're not thinking logically. They were just yeah. being emotional. 
And then yeah. from other people in the dog community, I've heard that we're just a bunch of whiners, and we talked about that yeah. in the Amazing video. Let, and let me let me say and let me say this um, for those that are listening, and if you've been in the free thought community for a long time, I'll be honest. I haven't been openly in the free thought community as as others have, so I'm not as aware of certain people and certain things or certain practices. I've just been on my own, being non-religious, being atheist or whatever. It's only recently that I've turned my you know opened myself up more to the free thought or free thinker community. Um, there's some dudes that, and I'll say this for the record, atheism does not automatically give you the moral higher ground in an issue, and it doesn't make you intellectually superior. So granted, there's folks that have, may have taken that enlightened step and let go of organized religion or organized religious dogma, but at the same time, they may still remain racist, sexist, classist, egotistic assholes. So we have to take that with a grain of salt. And in the aftermath of the Trayvon Martin shooting and in the aftermath of the George Zimmerman trial, I found that out the hard way. So, again, I bumped into people who made an enlightened step away from religion but happily held on to a lot of their bigoted, racist, closed-minded beliefs. Um, That's disappointing, um, but sadly not unexpected. And it comes from, again, tying back to tonight's topic, and I, a belief of privilege where if you didn't experience it, it didn't happen or it doesn't exist. And there's nothing more offensive than that. If a woman comes and talks about not being paid the same wage at work or people objectifying her because of her physical features and stuff like that, it's the most insensitive thing in the world to just tell her, oh, it's all in your head. You know, exactly. there's nothing more offensive than that. There's nothing more dismissive, and 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 you're relegating very real issues because that's a person that's not getting the same amount of money and then has to work harder to make ends meet. You're dismissing it as the ramblings of a petulant child. That's hardly fair, and it's hardly right. And it and it comes back to this. These are very real things. I think every person on this call, and I think a lot of people that are listening to us now have experienced discrimination, have experienced profiling, and are saying, hey, this is real. Up to the president, this is real. And, you know, all you have to do is look at a lot of the things that were said to him. I don't care what you think of him politically, but if you read a lot of his opponents or a lot of people who had a problem with him running for office, it even happened to him. And if a man in the most powerful seat in the world, not just the country but in the world, can experience that, why would you dismiss it as, eh, he's just whining? Well, because <laughs> he, he is a, whine about. He is in that position, and being in that position, if you can marginalize the man that far up through you, it's funny because, Don, as you mentioned it, a co-worker of mine actually posted a picture, and I had to laugh as soon as I saw it. It was pictures of, uh, you know, him and his family, and, uh, of course, you know, his mother is white, and so because she was holding him and because she was in the picture and they were happy, the picture asserted that he he never had any side, uh, any type of discrimination or adversity in his life. And mm-hmm. so I had to laugh and I posed the question, well, I have pictures of my family all the time, but you, know, I, you and I are both soldiers and you and I both face very similar, you know, adversities just in that aspect. So if I see a yeah. funny picture of you or happy picture of you that 
just disqualifies any claim that you have, you know, uh, for your own training, your own personal experience. You know, what kind of logic is that? And exactly. it's so funny. It's so funny how easily um, folks can marginalize someone like that. But, you know, we're I'm not going to, you know, go and jump on the don't beat up the president bandwagon because he's in that position and he's going to be beat up for everyone's convenience. Now, exactly. what I love is that when I first um, brought up the uh, concept of white privilege to some of my Caucasian friends, it was not met with, oh, what is what is this? You know, where, where does this come from? I had never heard of this. It was outright denial, complete mm-hmm. and utter denial. And it was more of a social experiment for me to see because I'd heard similar tales that, uh, well, you know, I do bring this up to other people outside of minority community, and the first reaction is to deny it. And so when you read further into that whole concept, some something that's called white male privilege to kind of, you know, extrapolate on the how gender also plays a role in that. But we're going to get into that a little bit later. Yeah, the outright denial is, is astounding, but I'm going to let you go ahead and elaborate on that. Uh, yeah, it's 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 just weird, and and I saw a lot of it. It was on my page, or and you know, and there are people like I respect, or a few folks that are you know they don't have our experience, but I respect them, and you know, engaging them in the conversation. You have the luxury of saying, I'm tired of hearing of all the. This is how you get it. I'm tired of hearing about all this Trayvon Martin stuff. Jeez, move on already. That's what I was hearing on my page. On my page, oh, yeah. when I say. This is me voicing my feelings about something that's very close to me that I can relate to. Listen, I've been profiled by police. I've been intimidated. I've been walked up upon and approached wrongly because it was felt I was in the wrong place or something like that. I'm speaking from my experience. I'm not trying to co-opt the Trayvon Martin experience. I've been there, and I'm not. It's not like it was like 10, 20 years ago. It's like. It happened one day three months ago when I was jogging, you know. Somebody, I got pulled over by cops like, what are you doing in this neighborhood? I live here, but why are you out here? I'm jogging, and I had to go with the ID and everything like that. So it's a, it, 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 but somebody, I'm just so tired of it. I mean, just move on already. And It's like you just, it, it's an inconvenience. Like it's a mild inconvenience. It's not like they're not realizing that, in that instance, if I played this situation any other way than as forthright and as as stiff as I possibly could, at the on the worst, on the bad, on the good side, I may have been, uh, you know, harassed or searched forcefully or arrested. Or on the worst side, I could have been beaten or killed. And this is an experience, not just me, not just people in my neighborhood, but in several. Black men, ranging in all ages, can 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 you know they have the shared experience. It's not something that we're just. I'm just really tired of being treated badly. This is something that affects our everyday life. And exactly. It's it's a, it's a level of privilege to assume that because it's never happened to you, and there are people who don't have that experience to to know what it's like just to be targeted. That if it there's there's this level of disconnect that if it didn't happen to me then it doesn't happen at all, and it that is ignorance beyond the pale. When people are and if someone says it's happening and you hear it more than once from completely different and independent sources, you don't even stop to think for a second. Well, maybe this is real, you know. 
that that's just that's not even being naive anymore. You're willfully ignorant. Exactly. And then as soon as uh, you know, I try not to use too much anecdotal evidence because someone could just easily say, Well, you're lying. Well, I also pose this because someone I was speaking to inferred that, you know, well, it wasn't interpreted like that, as if I don't know the difference from being accosted uh, with suspicion for no reason and being able to discern that from, hey, you know, I have reason to believe that there's something happening here and I want to talk to you about it for your protection. Now, I'll give you a good example. Just recently, I just came back from leave. My wife and I, my son, and a friend of ours were going out for a run. We'd run maybe, you know, four miles. And a civilian police officer in plain clothes, you know, uh, came by in his car, and he approached us. Now, there's a difference between being approached hostily and non hostily You can tell it in their demeanor. You can tell it from the way if someone has their hand on their weapon, the kind of distance they keep from you. There are many different ways. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out hostility. That's one thing. Now, mm-hmm. the way that he approached us was with, uh, I wouldn't say caution, but the way he approached us was with inquiry because he wanted to know if we were uh, if we were actively staying here for this block leave or if, you know, we had just came back. And then he proceeded to, you know, ask us a few questions and if we knew that there were some robberies in the area. Now, that experience is among the minority of encounters that someone did not stereotype you, someone did not assume that you are part of this. And he proceeded to give us information on how to help him catch some of these folks because he actually enlisted our help to help uh, identify different things and to alert them for someone else and give us information on how to for, uh, secure our own home. Now, that is completely different than experience I had younger when my cousins and I, I want to say four of us, were on a corner, and, of course, uh, three black teens on a corner kind of huddled up, looked suspicious. Someone actually called the police on us. We all live around the corner from each other in different cul-de-sacs. So the police were called on us while we were playing Pokemon. We had link cables, so we had to stay close to each other. Yes, yes, black teens are, uh, oh, they're doing drugs, but they're outside every day, so, you know, it's, it's, it's frightening. So that experience... And this recent one, two starkly, stark, uh, two both are stark contrasts with one another. But I'm for some reason, I'm, you know, me, you, and every other black person who interprets these experiences are unable to discern that. That is the first uh, inferred uh, thought, I guess, or notion that some of these folks have. And if that's not insulting enough, to marginalize it as well, you know you shouldn't just be immune because you are black. No, the problem is we are being assessed in a cost because we are. If there is no reason for you to accost someone in such a manner, such a hostile manner, then why do it? There's no reason. But like I I sometimes say is that, okay, well, this history of, you can go, of course we always go back to slavery because it's it's a secession. You go from one point in time to the other. Things just don't disappear over time. We get better yeah. at doing things, or they slowly regress, or they change. Nothing completely disappears. Polio got cured, but it's still there, and it still affects some people who are not vaccinated. So this post-racial America thing is, is a myth. Um, go ahead and kill that now. But yeah. here's <laughs> why I named this show 
uh, hegemonic privilege. You can't find uh, hegemonic privilege in, its, in that particular name. You have to either search it by white privilege or white male privilege because it's being used to compare and contrast uh, the white experience, the black experience, or uh, white males, white females. But right. it's, it's, the issue is that it's invisible. It's, you can't touch it. The concept itself is so foreign to those who are immune to it that they have no choice other than to deny it because then that lowers their ego or it lowers their perspective of themselves in society. So how can I, we address this? Go ahead. Well, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to oh, say, we have Kelvin on the line. We have Kelvin on the line that wants to call in, that wants to um, um, add to this conversation. So I'm just going to pull Kelvin. And this is your cousin, Carl. Okay, go ahead. My cousin? I think it's my cousin. <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> it's somebody's cousin. Kelvin, you're on the line. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm Alfred's cousin. Yeah, just to clarify that, but yeah. <laughs> no, I had one too. I was like, wait, he's in Guyana or something. Wait, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like like what are you saying? Basically, when we pretty much got accosted for like just being on the corner, just playing like games, like people, I don't know, people just have like this whole vision that like because of what they see in like media, it doesn't matter what it is. That just you see a group of black kids hanging out, they're obviously going to be up to no good without even checking what's going on with them. Didn't stop to check to see what was going on. Even if they would have asked, that would have been even better than just saying, okay, we're going to call the police on these kids because they're probably doing drugs because obviously Pokemon is a hell of a drug. You know, it's just they go out of their way just to, like, try to make things difficult without even, like, trying to learn or figure out anything whatsoever, and it's sad. And exactly. You know, the, the thing, and here's the thing, the facts support our argument. It's not even an issue of, well, you guys don't understand. This is us coming like, listen, we're not bringing in the drugs because I don't know if any, if I'm not mistaken, I don't know any black people in the neighborhoods where I grew up, and I only lived in Brooklyn, New York, and Miami, Florida. And I don't know anybody in Brownsville and, and Miami, uh, Liberty City, that own freighters. So we're not bringing in the drugs, and the facts support that we're not using it and it also supports that we're not the ones that we're not the ones that traffic it. It comes to us, and yes, of course, we got dope dealers and all that stuff and everything like that. That's just a part of the larger dope thing. But the facts support our argument. We're not committing these crimes that you're talking about. We're not doing this or that. We're not doing the guns and all that stuff. That's not happening. So if that's the case, why do you have more police in our neighborhoods? Or not just police but these special militarized tactical squads that go out to take down the bad guys. Why are they there? Or you know that these things aren't happening, so why are you putting more of these things in our communities? This is what we're coming to the table with. The facts don't support the reason. And why are you guys making us the face of welfare when it's clearly not black people or African Americans that may have them are on the majority of government assistance? This is us coming to the table with a fact. And they're responding to us with, again, it's the level of, I, me personally, I think it comes from if I admit what you're saying is true, then I would have to admit that I, what we are doing is wrong and we are clearly taking advantage of you. 
and this, uh, not just you, but your culture as a whole, your people, we're taking advantage. And that's why I think a lot of times it, it, it's a defense mechanism more than anything because they don't it want is. to admit that they're doing some real nasty, that some real nasty stuff is going on. It is. And if you look at it from, well, uh, let's let's go back. Let's go back. I, I didn't have my notes on me in the car. What is uh, the word uh, hegemonic? comes from the word hegemony. What is hegemony? Hegemony is essentially control of one group over another. That's the basic definition. Now, you can go and extrapolate that in any sort of form. Even with our two-party system, you have a majority, you have a minority. If you are part of that majority, you reap the benefits. If you're part of the minority, you don't. You don't have that privilege. So just the privilege of being a part of the larger group and being able to assert whatever control you want is that privilege. Now, let's look at gender. We live in a patriarchy. That is nothing new. That is nothing anybody can deny. You can look at it just from one aspect of our chastity, our idea of chastity. A man can go out and whore himself out, and he is seen as more of a man. A woman does that, and she is a whore. That's where we get slut-shaming from. So Mm -hmm. this, just in that one aspect, shows how that works as far as patriarchy. Now, this is not... Yes, this is not a, a, a rail against white people or a rail against you know, anything that's, that, that is non-minority because I know some people get that and that, oh, that's what they want to see. Mm-hmm. It's like I use the example for gender roles. Even, even I had a hard time with this, and that's where I kind of uh, uh, sympathize just a bit with those who have a hard time accepting this when we did a show a few months ago, I know you remember this, Carl, on black male privilege. And the first thing I thought of, how the hell do I have a black male privilege in America? That was the mm-hmm. first thing I thought. But as I sat down and listened, I said, okay, well, I might learn something from this. I might, I might be wrong about this because I was wrong about a lot of things. And so I, I actually started being as open-minded as I like to believe I am. And it's a comparison for that particular hegemony. We do have a black male privilege in our own culture, and I even had to relate this to what I've seen growing up. The females in our family stayed inside. The boys could stay outside 10, 11, 12, you know, o'clock as we got older. But the females could not unless we were out there with them because they could get pregnant. That was the whole rationale behind that. Then people wonder why you see so many uh, 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 large women in our community. Well, if you stay sedentary and learn to be sedentary, early on in life, it's not likely going to change that much when you get older because it's a learned habit. It's how... Absolutely. Exactly. And just from that one aspect, that is how males in our own community have privilege over the females. So it's not anything foreign. It's not anything strange. It's just being able to admit, yes, in this certain aspect, I have benefit. And it's not anything that you know, is new. It's just hard to admit because then you have to admit that there are social inequities. And if there are social inequities, you don't have this, well, if you just work hard and you be a good American, a good patriot, then everything will go your way. That is a bunch right. of bullshit. A complete Absolutely. bunch of bullshit. Absolutely. We and were, I've we, actually told that. No matter of fact, you and I actually talked about this a little bit based on a, a discussion I had started on my Facebook page earlier today, Alfred. I and I had to sit back and and really play this over in my head 
And it didn't come out like a couple months ago. I don't know if you guys remember, but a couple months ago there was this video that was going around and everybody was trumping and praising this father for being a responsible father. And it was a video of like three young girls, I think it's two or three young girls in a room. They had to be like 14 or 15 tops, maybe 16 at the most. And they're playing songs and they're twerking. And granted, that's the craze, you know what I'm saying? And, And the dance is provocative, but they're girls, and they were alone, and they were in the room, were they? And the father comes in, and he's got a belt, and he starts lashing him and lashing him, beating him and everything. And I'm seeing, and it's, and what surprised me the most, of course, that it's it's enough to for people to be jumping up and down and praising this man because he's clearly on the video abusing these girls. But then the second thing is, it's like that, well, now they'll grow up to be better women from what he's doing. And I had to sit back and I really had to think, well, what is what they were doing really all that wrong? You know, well, granted, as a father, I don't necessarily want to walk into the room and see my two daughters twerking, especially for whoever may be watching them. I know the Internet is like the Wild West, and most of the Wild West is the red light district. But at the same time, they weren't actually having sex with anybody. They were alone, and they, in their minds, they were just having fun. So what they what they were doing really all that wrong, and and it does play into a level of privilege where I don't think boy I can say for I can say for certain had that been two boys nobody would care if they were dancing provocatively to entertain girls they wouldn't no one would care no one would say anything exactly. boys Let's that age in, in our community boys that age in our community when they start doing stuff like that what what have you heard people say oh he's so mannish. And they yes. celebrate the fact that he may have several several sexual and romantic partners come in and out of his life. And we encourage that. We encourage it. We encourage it. As soon as we see that seed of any kind of sexuality in our boys, we encourage that. Our communities encourage that. And, yes, that is a level of male privilege. And we teach girls to shun whatever any outward or overt expression of their sexuality. But if if our boys want to walk up and down the street with their shirts off, fine. A girl want to show her stomach in a tank top? Well, that's just you're you're going to die after you get age from getting pregnant from a crack whore. In something, that's what we do, and that's that is privilege. That is a privilege that I for a very long time enjoyed. It's just being real. Exactly. exactly. And speaking of face um, interactions, we have Steve on the line. Steve um, was interacting with Alfred on the page earlier today, and we also have Deborah on the line with us as well. How are y'all doing? Yeah, I've been right. I talked to you, Steve, uh, and you gave me that link, which I need to go downstairs and actually uh, read some more. Um, but uh, go ahead, because I, you you are actually more familiar with that link than I. Well. Yes, I'm just discovering that this term hegemonic is a very, very useful term, and it's like a meta term that describes many, many issues, and we can apply it to many, many other examples of privilege. And white privilege is the one you're talking about tonight, but I think it applies to many, many others. And as a white male, I had to learn about the white privilege that I was inheriting and and having and experiencing in American culture, but I certainly didn't learn from it about it from other white people. I had to be taught this by other minor, um, other by black people or other minorities. And what I've discovered is that the way to learn it 
is to have it pointed out as you as you use it in real life and people will deny it because they don't realize it but you have to give them examples and then point it out to them all the time and that's one of the best ways that I learned about it the other wet thing is to point out how they are victims in another hegemonic uh, um, scheme for example if they were a white gay male then you are the victims of hetero privilege and so yes. if you can ex- relate them to this idea of being a mon- being a victim of hetero privilege in a white male gay, uh, straight society then they can relate to the idea of all of the attitudes that they have to face every day in their life and then suddenly relate it to say well that's just like being a black in a white society or a female in a male dominated society or an atheist in a christian dominated society and the the ability to translate a a sense of victimhood in one um hegemonic d- dynamic is a way of teaching people that it exists and maybe helping them to relate to it so they can start to maybe see it but otherwise you have to show it to them with examples firm explicit examples that's exactly and i'm i'm glad you uh you actually shared that from your perspective because i think that's the challenge and that's one of the reasons i kind of stopped using the term white privilege uh just just so you know wantonly and i felt that it really didn't cover and address the other issues that occur because one of the ones that, that really bothers me, honestly, is not the white black interaction. It's not. That one bothers me, but the one that bothers me the most is the uh the one for uh sex. Because yeah. those of us who are uh heterosexual and we have partners of the opposite sex, we want our partners to contribute where possible to the collective. If my wife can't get paid the same thing I would with those skills, how is that going to help our family. That's, that's going to hurt our family. I want someone to treat my wife with the same amount of respect as I, you know, where it's warranted. Now, if she's being, you know, you know, ornery, then that's different. But that is something that I readily point out. You know, we have things such as a glass ceiling. These things exist because of this dynamic and because there is this clear ideology. And I can say from being in the military, I will always be chosen over a female. I can firmly say that. And there is no scenario I can think of now that I won't be chosen over a female for any task, not just physical. So, Can, can I add something else? Yes. Um, you talk about people denying it, and it may be so that they deny it, but I think it's more often the case that they are simply unaware of it. I think they... It is so pervasive in the society in which uh, they grow up, in which they live, in which they operate in every day, that it's not visible. It is invisible, and they deny it because they don't see it. But, and I wouldn't. It's not. This doesn't excuse it. But you can't start blaming them as being making conscious decisions to be this way. It's 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 in the air they breathe, and this privilege comes. They take it for granted, and it comes through their culture and their society. It's just like um, if you try to point out to some Christians today, even African-American Christians, 
that they have privilege in our American society for being Christian, they would deny that they get any special privileges or have any special status in, in you know in the country, and they're not. And they deny it because they don't see it. They're just blind to it. And I think we have to overcome the blindness, and it might be better to talk about their their unawareness rather than their being their, their denying it, because denying it implies a proactive decision-making. But in fact, I think most people are simply unaware of it. Oh, yes. oh certainly. Certainly. I, I, I can definitely agree with that. Um, and and I... I don't think, and, and sometimes I, 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 while I think it, it may be something of a, of a fifty-fifty situation where there are people that are truly naive to it, there's other folks that I think are ignorant of. It. But to your point, certainly because even even when it comes to us, a lot of us just grew up thinking, well, that's like the song says, that's just the way it is, and some things will never change. And right. we grew up thinking and believing that. Whatever whatever treatment that we got in the world was just the way the world turned. However, right. when it comes to the the privilege that, or when it comes to the the state of of African Americans in this culture, a lot of us for a very long time just went along with our lives, thinking this is the way it is. Some people just have this, and we don't. It wasn't until we met that one person or those few people that showed us like. No, this is why this is the way it is, and that opened our eyes. So definitely, right. I, I don't, I don't think, I, I, I don't really believe that, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm not even halfway ashamed to say it. I don't believe that there's just a whole bunch of white folks just sitting at home thinking up ways to not like a person of color. I think at a lot of times they want to understand, or, or at least want to understand where the anger is coming from. So I, at the same time, while I'm upset with some of the folks that are saying some of the rude things that we have heard and seen in the in recent weeks, I do understand that there's a lot of them that are just coming from a real place of unawareness. Like I did yeah. not know or why are you why are you acting like this? You right. Because lots of times they don't for, know anybody. They don't yeah, know anybody. No, it's definitely. never been pointed out to them explicitly with examples. Yeah, no, I I, I believe I can agree with that. Yes in, indeed. So a great project for I think would help is if someone could start writing down examples of these things in these different hegemonies and to, to be used as examples to tell, teach people or to use as examples for people to see. And it's hard to do. And it's embarrassing to do. And you don't want to do it to your friends, but it's got to be done. Oh, definitely. And and to your point, um, it, it, and, and again, because I've, been, I've taken my my example was um, one of my favorite examples is um, I, I know the color purple. You know, I know if you guys are familiar with the movie, um, you know, it's one of my favorite films. But at the it's it's it what was always so profound to me watching that film growing up was the fact that here we are, it's the Jim Crow South, and you have. You know, everyone's anyone who's a person of color, anybody who's black, is pretty much living under the iron, you know, fist of Jim Crow and uh, you know racism, you know, segregation, the whole nine yards. They're all being, they're all living under. Huh? Say again. And and these and all of these, they're all under these 
these things and being obstructed. But and at the same time, while we're all experiencing racism and and segregation and all this stuff, there's still this underclass. The women in the movie were being treated horribly by the men in this film. You know, they're getting cheated on. They really spend the entire movie being abused by Mister. So. You know, even in that situation, we have to step back and look to see that even with that going on, there was somebody benefiting from the advantage that he had of being male. So even in the, even in those situations, we have to step back and go, you know, you had a foot up in there, and you 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 know, we have it's not the we don't like to admit it, but it is there, and we have to really recognize it if we intend to move on or progress in any way. That's real true. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, look that. Can you hear me? Mm -hmm. I'm here. Yeah, Yeah, okay, very good. And with that movie with the color purple, there were just so many different examples in there. Um, The example with um, Sophia with the um the mayor's wife. You know, mm-hmm. that was another sign, you know, another example of privilege in which the mayor's wife basically, you know, asked Sophia if she wanted to be her maid, come work for her. And Sophia said no and you know, she didn't say no, she said hell no. And <laughs> that was taken as a sign of disrespect. And next thing we know, Sophia is being beat, thrown in jail, and basically forced to be the mayor's wife's, you know, um, handmaiden, if you will. So yeah. that's another example. Yeah, and even even if that, even if you want to take the mayor's wife, at that time in American history, women, white women, were being treated as second-class citizens. They didn't were just barely getting the right to vote. They were barely have, being able to get jobs and work and be more than just the shadow of their husbands. And even in the scenario for that white woman, she was still in a place of privilege to this black woman. So you see, again, it goes. So that's. It, I think it's a genius thing that Alfred did with renaming it hegemonic privilege because it's not just you know the guy at the top. There's just so many things that you can latch onto where privilege plays a role, and we really have to take a step back and look at it, take away from what we're shoveling sometimes, because even then in our downtrodden situations, there's you know, we're getting some kind of benefit from an advantage afforded us by the society at large. It's a very it's a very interesting thing. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, uh, can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. okay. Cool. I'll just make sure that Skype said it wants to work now. Um <laughs> and, and as we get into it and I, I'm so glad Steve called in because that's really what I wanted to get across in this episode is bringing it to the forefront and showing us many incarnations. It's not just specific to our culture. It's not specific to our nation. It's even the concept of imperialism is essentially Mm -hmm. hegemonic privilege. The fact that we still have, what is it, Guam, I believe, is under our control on, you know, officially, unofficially. (laughs) It's, yeah. it's that whole privilege. We get to dictate what they do and don't do. 
if we have an embargo with another country, guess what? You're in it too. Puerto Rico, the same. So yeah. it's not that difficult of a concept, but when we're putting it into context, we have to use some very good examples. And then Steve brought up some very good points as to how to do that. Because like you said, someone had to show him because he thought that was the way things work. Just like in my own example, I just thought that's the way things were. Even if I didn't know it was called a patriarchy and I didn't know uh, about things such as glass ceiling. And when I had an encounter with a glass ceiling, it pissed me off because my wife was working for a company that actively practices act and had no problem uh, displaying it because the females underneath that glass ceiling felt as though that they were, uh, it was something that was to, to their advantage, but they could see that they were still something wrong, but then could not complain. This whole, uh, this whole dynamic that they were introduced to has been all that they've known. So if you keep someone ignorance for so long, they don't know any better and they can't do any better for themselves. But uh, it's, and it's, it's really, really frustrating when people say that they want to have these open dialogues and that it is a time to talk about race and to talk about uh, how we stop this divisiveness. We have to address it at many different levels. And this is just one aspect that affects all of us. And that's why I'm glad I came up with the name. And I'm not going to say where I came, where I came across the word hegemony because it's just very embarrassing. Well, yes and no. (laughs) It is something that we want to extrapolate on in other episodes. But for this particular episode, there is something that I wanted to really address. Um, Oh man, it's um. Uh, actually, the board. Did you have something you wanted to say? Because I think you were trying to speak up earlier. Um, yeah, I was just, um, you know, where you keep saying that uh, they just don't know. Um, I can't see a whole bunch of people not knowing. I mean, unless we were living in 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 eighteen thirteen, you know. Um, yeah, and you're a grown person, okay. Um, you know, it's just too much TV, too much everything to to not say it's, you know, no racism or anything like that going on. And, um, you know, I, I, I just can't see it that, you know, it, it being like that, that you really, really don't know. That's all. Well, it, you have to consider something. It's something that I've been trying to pry apart for the last few days, or actually the last two weeks, is that if your worldview includes many misconceptions, and it keeps you in a certain position, it keeps you in that privilege, in that artificial privilege, because you are under the guise of, well, I'm in this position because I do X, and if I continue doing X, then I will get um, Y and Z as results. That is your world. But to maintain that, everyone else that does not fit into that same formula, well, you can just say, well, it's their fault. And 
things that they do have a direct impact on their Y and Z. But if your particular worldview does not include A, B, and C, which are various forms of inequity, social inequity, then you have no exposure to it. All you have is that the people and their results. And if you only look at it at the people themselves with certain, the one of those um, A, B, and C social inequities can be misconceptions, you can't see that. So you're looking down at your driveway, and at the end of the driveway, you see a puddle of water, and it's actually a mirage. The sun is acting upon the uh, driveway, creating that and obscuring the view. So you're seeing a false image. More or less. I, I hope that uh, that analogy works very well because that's that's kind of the conclusion that I'm that I'm coming in and, and coming into. And uh, another reason I actually you know renamed it uh, hegemonic privilege is because someone actually brought the point that it is you know quasi racist. It's not really reinforcing any negative stereotypes, but just to uh, delegate it or excuse me relegate it to just one portion of the population isn't very fair and it, and it is it comes in so many different carnations that you can't really uh name it that and then apply it somewhere else and, and also too and i and not to and, and i'd also like to add that even there is a concentrated effort to maintain uh you know Parts of hegemony, so there is a way, in a I sense, that. that people that people are kept, um, in a sense, naive. I mean, if you look at a lot of the media in our country, they maintain the privilege, the, the, the hegemony, and the privilege all the time. That's their job for a lot of things, you know. If mm-hmm. it, it, it keeps you unaware or it keeps you thinking that everybody's supposed to look a certain way or everybody's supposed to weigh a certain weight. Or be uh, wear a certain kind of clothes, and if you're not, and if you don't have that person that comes along, and and says, look, that's not the way things are. There's a different thing going on, or there's more to the story than what you're being told. It's it's kind of difficult to say um, to to for, to say that somebody would just break out of that kind of thinking on their own. I mean, for years, you know, we were sit, we were told that it's okay to smoke cigarettes. Smoke cigarettes. They have commercials. You know, if you ever watched that show Mad Men, smoke as many cigarettes as you want. It's good for you. And until somebody came out and did the studies and did the scientific research and doctors had to come forward and say it and people had to come forward with the illnesses, people would have went along just fine not knowing that this stuff gives you cancer because at the law, at large, our media and our advertising and everything told us that all is well. So in in a sense, unless it always comes back to if you're not shown, you know, you can go through your entire life not knowing. And, and, and I don't think it's all malevolent. I don't think it's all malevolent on that there's somebody that just wakes up in the morning thinking this way about, you know, women or or minorities or anything. They just haven't been exposed and it, that's a level of privilege. They they think that their life is this way, so everyone's life must be like this. And until somebody comes along and says, hey, no, it's not, and you've been benefiting from something, and something's being hidden from you, 
um, I think it'll continue. And it's not necessarily that they choose not to. It's just that there hasn't been that, I guess, you know, a moment of clarity or that person to bring clarity or those individuals to bring clarity um, yet. But I'm pretty sure I, 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 I can't say that it's just a willful ignorance, not for everyone. Certainly that there are folks like that, but I don't think it's all 100% just willful. I woke up this morning and I've decided that, you know, I'm not going to like you or, or that you're I'm better than you. I don't think it's necessarily that. Okay. All right. Yeah. And and I agree. It's it's really hard to sit and actively deny something that does exist, even if there is studies. I actually well, I actually had a guy that I was talking to on someone else's page who actively denied it when I first mentioned it. Then later on came and acknowledged it, that it does exist, but it's a bunch of crock because of his personal experience and that he cannot see a way that he benefits from it. But it's it's interesting that the people who do actually look into it, I'll say that, and gloss over it just a bit, they come back and retort based off their initial response with that denial. It is, I want to say 100% of the time, a misconception or something that, uh, more of a straw man argument, I guess I could call it, that they have not actually read what it is and how it affects someone else. I think it is because they lack empathy. And there was a study done, and I cannot find the study, uh, that said pretty much that the majority, which is uh, generally Caucasians in America, have little to no empathy for minorities. Now, me saying this to Carl, it's like, well, okay, yeah, duh, we know that, but (laughs) <laughs> it's nothing that it's not just overt racism. All they hate it. No, it's just that they have, I think, been conditioned like that, and that it's so much. You know, it's not just O'Reilly Factor and Fox News. It's every piece of personal experience and just the degree of how we value one another, and just the general divisiveness that we have towards anything, just even political parties. It's on a subconscious level because they were showing different images uh, and like most of them were neutral images. You could, you know, saw a guy riding a bike and black guy throwing away a piece of paper and they linked, they had a, I think they hooked up to something similar to an AEG that tracks brainwaves and they they showed the center for, I want to say empathy and uh, pleasure thoughts and that sort of thing. And then when they would flash the picture of, uh, you know, of a, of a minority, then you wouldn't get the same activity that you would with a neutral picture of, you know, a non-minority doing the same activity. And I know that's very vague, and I want to try and find that uh, that study, but that's really nothing new. Um, and somebody saying in chat that they uh, that they saw the same article, and it was, I want to say about a week ago, but it's nothing that that shocks me in the least. It's just something that proves more that, okay, this divisiveness that we've had for a while now, there's little to no interaction other than me saying my opinion and you saying yours, and we just go to our designated corners and believe whatever we want. There is no open dialogue. There is no, hey, let me get to understand you. There is none of that 
you know, why why is this like this? I've had very few conversations, very few interactions, and so you know what? You know, why do black people do this? Why do you know black people think that? And even though that's really aggravating to a degree because they have the misconception of the black monolith, you know, mindset, it mm-hmm. still lays the groundwork for that open dialogue. And that's how we segue into things such as uh, white privilege, uh, white privilege, and then we add on to that with hegemonic privilege to, I guess, kind of reinforce the idea that this does happen and it happens to everybody in different ways. Uh, yeah. Uh, go ahead, Carl. No, in, in, in a very real way, I mean, there there are so many scenarios where, and, and again, that lack of empathy, it's reinforced It's it, a lot of times. It's reinforced by privilege. If you were born rich, I mean, in this, in this culture, if you're born a white, male, Anglo-Saxon, Protestant, rich, you know, you hit the jackpot. And unfortunately, that, you're conditioned to believe that, you know, anybody who's not at your level is that way because they have made a willing choice not to be. And then you're set through life believing that. This is why you can have, and this is regardless, uh, you can see it a lot of times, and it's not just a party thing, but you saw it a lot during uh, the last election where you can just jump off and say that a person who is not rich and was not born well-to-do, whose parents who were not well-to-do, well, they were takers, and they didn't take advantage of the American system and things like that, like I did. I pulled myself up by my bootstrap. I had a lemonade stand, and that, 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 and it's really in their minds. You know, I can't even feel bad for somebody like a Paul Ryan unless he was blatantly lying. I can't even, I can almost understand where he's coming from because he thinks everybody's life was like his. And everyone had an advantage, that same advantage in life that he had. So when he sees people um, um, not, and when you listen to him, that's clearly not about race. That's, that's about his status in life. He just he thinks know. anyone who's not at this level of, of mind, they did so by choice, and they're takers. That's what he called them. He called them, to, but that comes from privilege. That, that comes clearly from privilege. And, again, it goes back to the point that I made earlier about there's a system or a media that at least supports that belief. Look at the coverage of the royal baby. 370,000 babies were born the same day as Prince George, the um, Prince of Cambridge. 370 babies, but he was born rich, he is white, and he is royalty. So our, our media, our own media, in the country that fought the British and got them out of this country, our own media has held this child up as infinitely superior to all the other 369,000 children that were born that day. That's privilege. But they won't get it unless somebody tells them, listen, that's not true. You're the same as the rest of us, you know, although you have benefits that were given to you somehow. And they were given to you by taking it from someone else. And maybe that child will grow up and understand something, hopefully. But yeah, I mean that's 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 real ugly. That's real privilege right there. That's what it looks like. Exactly. And uh, someone in the chat actually linked uh, this. It's a the universe. If anyone wants to look up the article that I mentioned, 
the University of Toronto, uh, Scarborough, did the study, and you can look this up. Uh, white, the name of the article is White People Lack Empathy for Brown People, uh, Brain Research Shows. And it's uh, very telling. If, if you would do the same study, I'm sure you get a similar result for other comparisons. And sure. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't doubt that the you know the inverse is true at all. And mm-hmm. that's something that that's just a misconception that well, you know, <clears throat> that that's probably true because I can hear some of my friends now or coworkers when that saying, Well, yeah, that's probably true, but it, it's okay because, you know, black people don't care about anything other than other black people. And then I was actually told this too, especially when I had a problem with uh, the whole Trayvon Martin thing, you know, getting my getting my Jimmy's on the Russell. But I said, well, it, it, it slightly bothers me more than when I don't get my food stamp check, you know, on time. So, <laughs> it's like, really, you know, uh, are you serious? Why would I have an issue with stuff like this? If people want so bad to have open conversations, then they have to also be open to being wrong. I have no problem being wrong whatsoever, but I do have a problem with people who want to pretend they are and want to pretend they want open dialogue, but then lack, they, they, I'm reading uh, his comments along. <laughs> this is Steve again. Can I add something else? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Um, we should remember that most hegemonies come from majority groups. They are the majority of the population, whether it's racial, white privilege, uh, straight, you know, heterosexuals. Um, uh, men are not a majority, but they hold a, a certain power structure in the society that they, op- they operate almost li- like a majority. And the same thing, so most majorities, they are reinforced day in and day out by the surroundings that they are in, by the majority of the people around them of this privilege, not explicitly but implicitly, and they don't have to speak about it or name it or call it out or acknowledge it. It just is. And they're unaware of it because of that. It's the minorities, the victims of these hegemonies that are always aware of them and always more knowledgeable of the majority group than vice versa. Think how much more blacks understand whites than whites understand blacks. Think how much more of more gay people understand heterosexual society and relationships and things than straight people know about gay relationships. Um, and that dynamic is just applicable across many, many, um, I don't know, you know, dynamics and we have to remember that because um, that may be key to how we start to teach people how to get how to acknowledge it and recognize it. Yeah, uh, uh, even another example. Look at how many atheists know the Bible better than most Christians. Exactly. Wow, exactly. you took that right out of my mouth. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, I I can quote it better than not. It's not just having grown up. And, and it, it was when I had my, what I like to call my moment of clarity, and went back to look through what I used to read and accept. And that's what 
that, that now I had to go back and read it with different eyes. And now, you know, now you can't come to me using that book because I know it better than you do. You read the parts that make you feel better. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, I read exactly I read all of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of it's not even discussed in church. Yeah. You know, and a lot of it. And that's and that's I think in in, in a lot of these cases again, you got to go. It, it, there's a and it goes back to Steve's point where you know they don't have to know because everything has been set in place for them to exist happily with the knowledge that they have. Whereas, but it's not by design. We shouldn't give it give it personality. No one is designing this hegemonic system. It 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 accretes. Um, uh, by virtue of its majority status, it just grows, yeah. and it's yeah. a power structure that comes out of the largeness of the of the group, and it's not designed or directed, or even intentional. You know, so no. that's why I'm saying we Absolutely. have to be careful about blaming people for it because it's not so. It's not a decision point they make; they just grow up in it. Oh no, absolutely. I I, I don't disagree. I think that's I think that's absolutely the case. Uh, I would and and it, and I don't think that people meant to x out someone like George Washington Carver and make sure the kids only learned about George Washington. I in in some cases I don't think that uh, I don't think for all of them, but I do think in some cases it, there are times where people are making making conscious decisions to to not. To not expand, and I'm not just talking about yes, it, there, that's right. Sense. Yes, it, it does I, happen. I do think most definitely, but I but do it's think not all we, that way. No, 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 not all the time. It, but I, mm-hmm. but I do have to say that in in certain cases, yes, it, we do have to point out that people are taking very active steps um, to, to to not acknowledge things or and not acknowledge. Uh, uh, that that something may be wrong, or there's something wrong with the level of hegemonic privilege. And, Agreed. And I'm not Agreed. talking about race. And I'm not talking. And I'm, if we were talking about right now, if you want to talk about evolution in schools now, the, or, or 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 like the school board in Texas, the guys that are responsible for most of the textbooks that everyone in the country uses, mm-hmm. the person that runs. The person that makes the decision is a person who doesn't believe evolution is real and the Earth is mm-hmm. six thousand years old. That is mm-hmm. a conscious decision now mm-hmm. to 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 maintain this hegemonic privilege. This is a constant. This is a, 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 a mm-hmm. they're making a concrete decision to not acknowledge what they're doing is wrong, and and it does happen sometimes. Yeah. There are other times yeah. where it's just this is how it's been and it's their belief system that this is always what it will be. But, yes, there are people making conscious decisions, even though they've been exposed to the fact that they are wrong, that are trying to keep things the same. I would, I, in our case, I would say every rap album, every time a Trinidad James or a 2 Chainz shows up, that's a conscious decision that we are not going to acknowledge the status of women in our culture. That's just in my mind. Yeah. I've decided to not acknowledge that women aren't objects. They are not to be disrespected. So the next album we'll put out called Bitch Don't Kill My Vibe, I'm going to put it out, even though I know that that's not true. So yeah, sometimes, yes, but other times, in, in recent times, yes, I can say that there are people who are going to take advantage 
exploit and monopolize on on their privilege. They are doing it um, now, consciously, I believe. Yeah, that's happening. They got to keep the control, baby. Exactly, and then that's then that's what we have to kind of get past, and that's not one particular race, it's not one particular gender. It's something we all have to look at, and that's something we have to keep in mind, especially when we want open dialogue. We have to first look at ourselves and say, okay, how are we coming across? Am I saying this objectively, or am I putting too much emotion into what I'm saying and putting off my audience? Is what I'm saying uh just for the sake of the argument, am I being partial on purpose? Am I using a line from statistics, logical fallacy, and quoting a fragment of a crime and a portion of people just to prove my point? And then, right. you know, expecting someone to grasp this concept that they have been, uh, uh, they've been gained, they've been gaining from all their life, but mm-hmm. have not realized it. So, yeah. We really have to work on that sort of dialogue. And that's something that I'm continuously trying to work on, especially uh, for the future, because I want to have these open dialogues in the public where people can see it. And, you know, not just on Law Talk Radio or on Skype or Google Plus or what have you, because the more vocal that we are about these social constructs and inequities, the more that we can come to understand exactly what they are, how they work, and how to eliminate them, essentially. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think a lot of times when it comes to progress, when it comes to to any real progress, sometimes it, it, take, it takes a bit of pill. You know, not every medicine comes with sugar, you know, with sugar sweetening. I know this because I have to have just coming from the hospital a couple of days ago, I have to take some very bitter pills to get me to get over what I went in for. And the same is with progress. Sometimes it's nice and it's smooth, and, and but for the most part, it takes looking at oneself and one's actions and, and taking responsibility for them. Um, and in this case, we all have a little bit of so if we're really interested in the cause of progress, and I think that this is the purpose of this show. If we're all really interested in the cause of progress, we do have to step back and look and like, well, how have I benefited from this negative thing? And we all have in our own ways. Some greater than others, that can be argued, yes, but we've all taken a little piece of that pie and, and, and used it to our advantage, knowing that we probably should not have. And we do have to look over ourselves and say, well, let me let me look at things from this person's eyes, and and it, it's not always good. No one wants to feel like that. No one wants to feel like the bad guy, or feels like they. No one wants to feel like they've done wrong, and unfortunately, that's we have to do that to make moves forward. And once we acknowledge those things, and once we realize, you know, I've done this, or I've I've benefited from this wrong thing. Then I think we can make some real positive, positive approaches, uh, positive moves to to better things, to onto more important things, hopefully, and more success, um, progressive things. Exactly. Uh, I'm wishing some more people would uh, call in, but I let quite a few folks uh, know about this, and I was hoping they'd weigh in. 
I think a lot of them are actually still at war. But um, it, it's, it's something that I'm going to continue to talk about. It's something I'm going to continue to research. And I'm going to go ahead and dispel this now because this was also said, I think, even though it was said in jest from what I understand, just because you don't have a degree in a particular field like sociology doesn't mean that you don't have right to talk about it or you, you are somehow uh, too inept to actually understand it. That sort of uh, dialogue is not going to help anything if folks are honest about wanting to understand how stuff works, then they should do just as much research as you do, if not more, and attempt to be objective in some way, shape, or form, because I'll be the first person to tell you I am not infallible. Some folks uh, on Facebook, some folks in, in person, I guess, uh, get, I guess, turned off by the fact that I do spend my free time researching a lot of the stuff, doing both researching stuff for my, my profession, uh, researching a lot of the social inequities and different types of dynamics that we must face so that my son can grow up in a better world. That's yeah. my whole reason behind doing this. So my son, and not, not just my son, my son and anybody else, son or daughters or, you know, whoever, maybe Someone has a transgender child, whatever. To learn that I have a clear advantage over that person because of certain innate qualities and certain chosen qualities, that's something that I have to acknowledge. I know that when I get out of the military, I will have a clear advantage over my civilian counterparts just because I chose to be in the military and I serve my country. That's a no-brainer especially in a country that values its military. I plan on teaching my son and whatever child I have in the future a bit different than I grew up. I'm not going to, you know, teach them that, you know, games like smear the queer is cool and fun and that that's acceptable. No, I'm I'm not, you know, I'm going to be intolerant of intolerance. And you can apply whatever degree of reflexivity you want to that, but it's not going to be acceptable. The fact that we have a game called Smear the Queer, which is rugby, just for the, you know, homophobic. But it's it's it shows right there, just in that one example, who is valued in society. And it's quite clear, because if talking about, or just joking about uh, physical violence against someone because of their sexual orientation... As, as as acceptable, as fine, as fun, then who do you think benefits from that? Who do you think is at a disadvantage for that? It's not rocket science at all. And it, it really, I guess, disgusts me and it confounds me to no end to hear people immediately deny it as a defense mechanism. But that is the world we live in, and have to learn different ways to try and break past that if that person is actually willing to, uh, you know, be talked to and actually wants some type of open dialogue. Oh, certainly. I I was listening um, a couple of hours ago to uh, this preacher on TV 
and it it bothers me that they're trying to they'll they they'll might say that yeah Zimmerman was wrong, but Trayvon was wrong too, you know, and they're now saying which I haven't heard this that reason that Trayvon was um, running because he thought that Zimmerman was gay and trying to get to him. You know. And I didn't hear that. I mean, I I haven't heard that, and I thought I was keeping I've, up with everything. I have I have heard that, and you know what? There's no need to turn the man into a cartoon villain. Yeah. You know, it, it's enough what he did. Yeah. It's enough the result of what happened, and it's and and again, it plays into this. It, it's it, it's just playing into another, even to acknowledge that, or even to 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 even try to go further with that inference. Um, it's just playing into another aspect of privilege that you know he wasn't just you know he just wasn't a gun nut chasing and that probably racially profiled a young boy. That's not bad enough apparently. He also had to be gay looking for rape. You, you know. know that's, that's you know you can't even some of those things you, you that's it's not even necessary you know yeah. to try and turn them into uh, I, and I'm saying this as somebody who George I am no fan of George but I don't even have to do that the facts yeah. at hand the situation the scenario at hand already uh, paints him enough in in a bad light in my eyes I don't have to make up stuff about him and I certainly don't have to malign another you know, another section of society for me like because in order for that to work we also have to not like gay people or think that, that that's what they think gay people do run around and make other people gay with them. And that's yeah. not even worth the headache. And that's not even worth the time and energy. That that guy's got so much stuff on him even before this trial. There's no need to try and turn him into some kind of it, it it just muddies the water further, as far as I'm concerned. I, I mean, as much as I want him, as I wish that he was would have gone to jail for what he had done. I don't see the need in trying to turn him into Lex Luthor or you know <laughs> some kind of comic book villain. It's not really but, even necessary. But what what it also does is it seems like they're trying so hard. Now I'm, I'm talking about I'm not I'm not even dealing with white people. Okay, I'm not dealing with some white people because you 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 gotta understand a lot of white people is against them. And so, I'm talking about the black. A lot of black people are trying to make Trayvon some kind of way guilty, and that what bothers me. Well, yeah, because it plays into this concept of inherent criminality. A young black teen is always going to be a criminal. In America, uh, at least I know in my generation, probably the next few. That's it's, it's easy, it, and people that I talk to and work with, well, you know, they were probably both doing something wrong, and I kind of left that alone, even though it bothered me. But it was never proven that he did anything wrong other than defend himself against someone he identified as creepy. Granted, he used some racist slurs that I don't agree with, and I find it horrible. But that's still not a reason to be shot in the chest and die. No, by no means. But it's exactly. easy to assume. It's safe to assume that he was doing something wrong. 
and that it, it, that that bleeds inherent criminality. Well, someone yeah. could say that you know when I run ahead of my wife when we're jogging that I was running from the MP that's coming down the street and they're they're going to do the right thing and hit me with a car. Someone could easily assume that you know I'm a black male running. I could. It's not possible that I'm exercising. It's easier and it's safer to assume that I'm doing something wrong. I don't have the type of privilege in this society for someone to give me the benefit of doubt. And I've brought that up several times. George Zimmerman constantly got the benefit of doubt, whereas they're still dragging Trayvon Martin through the mud. The kid's dead. He's not going to get any more dead. He's not going to come back as a zombie and be pissed off. But it's yeah. it's much fun, and it keeps reinforcing that sense of privilege that he does he will never and had never had a chance as far as uh the benefit of the doubt. And even one of the jurors knew it. She even went on and unveiled herself and she knew George Zimmerman was guilty of murder, but she left it in God's hands <laughs> and absolved herself from all responsibility, which I'm not surprised in the least. She knew he was yeah. guilty. The the Can person I... just oh yeah, go ahead. Uh no, 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 no. Finish, finish your thought, man. I, I, I'll go on. Real that, quick. I, I thought, I thought that was a joke, but then I actually read it and I saw her on CNN, and I was like, "You knew this man was guilty. You honestly knew he was guilty." Mm-hmm. But he can't escape God, and and God was going to get him, or some bullshit like that. And that oh. really pissed me off because yeah. that could have been my son. Easily could have yeah. been my son coming home, you know. And I'm going to tell my son the same thing. I grew up in Slater, Louisiana. You don't accost someone in flight of Louisiana in the middle of the night. You don't stare them down because that's that's a form of intimidation. They're going to rob you and kill you or kill you then rob you, whichever one. You know, there's many issues with drug dealers doing that kind of shit. You know, maybe not now as it was, you know, back then, but that's something I learned growing up that I have to be wary of to stay alive as a defense mechanism for my own survival. I'm not going to come up when you stare at me or you accost me, I'm not going to treat you like a friend. You're not asking for a cup of sugar. You know, that's what kills me is that, well, you didn't have the kind of experience I had growing up. You can easily assume that, well, he didn't handle the situation uh, well. I said, well, I wouldn't handle it well either at all because I don't like, I still to this day don't like being accosted in the middle of the night because I still have that sense of you're accosting me in the middle of the night because you want some sort of mischief, mischief, or you have malicious intent. There's something afoot. So yeah. it, it's again, there, it harkens back back to that privilege. You have the privilege of not going up in such a situation that your life could be in danger. So right. why even try that with me when that all it does is insult my intelligence and it tells me that you're tapping into that that privilege over and over and over again, but that just this is an insurmountable concept. No, I agree whole, wholeheartedly. And there's there's this thing, and it's a quick side note that I just really you, we brought up juror B thirty whatever her name is. Sounds like a bingo number. I don't even care. Um, I really, as a side note to to the subject. I can't tell anybody how much it irritates me when I hear people do this and it's all in God's hands now and God is the final judge and all of that stuff in regards to this case. But I got profoundly upset when I heard that that's how this juror thinks. 
Because yeah. now you're not even working with a functional understanding of the law. Mm-hmm. Now, it's like, listen, you got George I'll accept the argument that based on the information that we were given to, that we were given during the case, not what you had access to as the public, but the, the information that we had access to in, in this case, you know, we made our decisions based on that, and we were we had reasonable doubt to believe that George Zimmerman played a role in um, Trayvon leading to Trayvon Martin's death. Other than him shooting this kid, there was more involved, or there wasn't enough to prove that it was a uh, murder in the second degree or manslaughter. I can accept that, but for you to sit there and say, "Well, I was always convinced of his guilt," then that means you didn't have reasonable doubt. You know what I'm saying? So if you don't have reasonable doubt, why would you vote for a not guilty verdict? That's the first thing. And then now that it's over and you can't sleep well, yeah. well, I leave it in God's hands because God is the final. That's an insult. How do you think his mother feels mm-hmm. knowing that you could have at least taken a stand on principle? And if it ended in a hung jury, so be it. But at least you could sit down there and walk out those doors saying, I didn't, I believe that man over there shot that boy in cold blood. And leave it at that. You know what I'm saying? It goes right back to trial. We get this, we go through it until we get to, uh, get a, a just decision or something like that. Now, this means you just went, you just said what you said to go with the crowd. And then you have the temerity afterwards to get up and say something as stupid as, only God can judge. No, you could too. You were there. It's it's debatable if God was there, but it's not debatable that you were there. You know what I'm saying? So that ticks me off. But to get to another part of this case and, and you know, and how privilege plays a role in it, I mean, George Zimmerman's rap sheet before we get to Trayvon Martin was pretty yeah. splotchy. And I'm telling you yeah. this because he hid behind privilege. He hid behind privilege. Privilege was him going in there and telling this this story that had that was full of holes, and everyone just accepted it. Mm-hmm. Here he is, a man with a criminal record. He beat on his fiance. Mm-hmm. He beat on a, a police officer. Mm-hmm. He has this allegation over his head of molestation with a cousin. Those things mm-hmm. are there. This is a part of record. It's not something we made up. Mm-hmm. But his defense team went up in there with a completely made-up story about Trayvon Martin, and Not people only. just bought it because the the way our our system is set up, it's like Alfred said: young black men are thought to be inherently criminal, and everyone went with it. Even somebody who believed that the man sitting in the courtroom shot the boy in cold blood—that's mm-hmm. privilege, man. That's the power mm-hmm. of privilege. And they didn't even check to see where they're not telling, I think, what he had in his system. Again, that's for, or even let's let's bring to the to the fore that 44 days went by before the man even went to. That's the power of privilege. This is what we're talking about. It's not just, and it's not even just racial. It's it's across the board. He had a gun, (laughs) and there's a level of privilege of people. Even there's a gun culture here. Yeah. That people think you have some kind of authority, that there's an authority that having a weapon gives you over somebody who is unarmed. Mm-hmm. So in a person's mind, even a gun owner, you could say, well, yeah, he got what he got because he ran up against a guy with a gun. And in their mind, 
that's justified. That's a level of privilege. So there's a lot of things at play. There's a lot of things at play, again, that we have to take honest looks at. And privilege did play a big role in this. And we just, you know, it's just something we got to admit. I don't, you know, I, I don't think that people realize how punkified that is to hide behind a gun. I mean, everybody, you know, all the shows, when I, even when I was a kid, uh, Bonanza and all them old shows like that, it was all about having a gun. Really, to hide behind a gun, especially when somebody else don't have a gun, to me that's punkified. Well, oh, I, I, sorry, sorry. No, it's okay. It's um, like you said, it is a part of the gun culture. It's, it's many things. If you have a firearm, you are seen as more of an American because now the, the current rhetoric is you need to arm yourself, and that ties into these ideas that well, the government's going to turn on everyone and a new world order and this, that, and other. Granted, I understand people have concerns about this country. That's always going to happen. But if you can get people wound up enough to where they fear their neighbor and they fear their own shadow, then you can create this market, a wonderful, wonderful market that thinks like you, moves like you, and buys all, everything that you say that they need to buy. And I even pointed out an example of this is uh, – uh, don't tread on me by info or something like that, something to that effect. And they have this big spiel about being protected and being a part of, you know, this resistance. And then the guy's selling his own patented disaster kit. They want the home people that work. Those are, that's crap. So people don't see that because they're not looking for that. Their own bias uh, plays into a lot of this. And to actually grasp what's happening, you have to move yourself out of the norm and have to actually consider, okay, well, what is, what, what's really going on here? Is, is, am I seeing this? Uh, am I seeing this, you know, objectively? Am I seeing this uh, from my point of view? Is everything that's being said and heard right now aligned with my worldview and what I see? And if so, why? Have the question, have question everything, question yourself. And that's, I think, one of the main goals of, of Black Free Thinkers or any most secular movement is to question everything, even yourself. If you can't question everything, including yourself, then you are biased, plain and simple. Yeah. I sit down yeah. and I contemplate a lot of things that I believe all the time. And some people, like, you know, come up and say, are you okay? Well, you know, I tell them, well, no, you know, my head hurts, so I'm just thinking. But I'm actually contemplating something that I believe for the longest. And I've been challenged on and then I have to think, well, how how often do people actually do that? How often do you sit and you delegate this portion of society as being inherently evil and inherently mischievous or this, that, and the other? What kind of effect would that actually have on an individual? What kind of effect would that have on their prospect of life? What kind of effect would that have on their children? What, in turn, how would that affect me? I don't care. I'm not dead. That is... Yeah. In a nutshell, how many people think, and that is one of the main reasons we have these issues. You can't say yeah. that you want to solve a problem and not look at it and look at yourself objectively in any way, shape, or form. 
So when we try to address things like the drug culture and, you know, institutionalized racism or any of it, we have to look at how this began, how it's affecting other people, how it's affecting folks around me, how is it affecting me and my family. I can't say that I want something to change when I don't want my wife to be immune to the glass ceiling. Why why have I not helped shatter that glass ceiling? If I am truly a you know, a person of good moral character, why am I not uplifting the folks around me instead of marginalizing them? It's all connected in some way, shape or form. I honestly wish people would spend as much time as they would with conspiracy theories to try and help them understand their neighbor if there's something that's truly just disgusting and appalling and deplorable that they find in, in America. Why don't they find their closest example of it and learn more about it rather than just pointing the finger? Mm-hmm. Exactly. If, and, and that's one thing that you can do. You can put, your, you can put yourself up on this mantle, but to lift someone else up on that mantle would take too much effort. Uh, evidently, is is too hard of a, a concept to grasp, but we do have folks like, you know, Steve is online and gave a beautiful example and that link that we shared earlier with an example of using, him, using himself, actually, as to how the process would work and how he learned about this. So it's not possible at all. No, certainly not. It's, you know, the the one thing, and I remember we used to watch this, you know, that I was watching it a lot where you heard politicians like, the same thing, I forgot which one it was, the politician that said it. But it was like, ah, the same thing I said today is the same thing I said 10 years ago. And, you know, he said it like it's a positive. You know, like, uh, I, the same way I was back then is the same way I am now. And he said that as a positive. And to me, that's not positive. That's not a, to, to, to have the same exact mindset that you had, 10 years ago, and with all the things that have changed and things that have moved on and things that we have learned in just yeah. that amount of time, mm-hmm. um, for you to have the same exact mindset about everything, it, that shows that you're not, you haven't grown as a person. That's right. I don't right. think, I happily um, have changed in, in, in a, I, I'm glad I'm not the same person I was. Ten years ago, because ten years ten years ago, the person I was, even though I thought I was a good enough guy, I don't think he was ready for fatherhood. I don't think he was ready for marriage or the responsibility that comes with those two things. I, I, you have to go through things. You have to realize things about yourself, and sometimes come to very hard truths that again you not you don't want to face, but you have to in order to proceed. And a real person, a really mature person. And, I, you know, we're, we're talking about larger issues here, but I think the, a lot of times the real change comes when you realize things about yourself. You start to affect change on a larger scale. And to me, I think personally, you know, you become a better person when you when you get confronted with new information and you decide to, like, okay, even if I'm not going to accept this, let me at least try to understand where this new information is coming from, or let me at least try to process it. That's how we become more mature. When we take on new information and we change our worldview just a little bit to understand, you know, how the world's changing around us. 
anyone that that refuses to do that, um, they're, they're, it's a detriment to us all, honestly. Because you know, even with science, like say for instance, when we're talking about privilege. Say, for instance, you don't believe that you think human beings rode dinosaurs, and no matter how much information you're being given contrary to that worldview, if you go in there and you, you're able to make decisions that affect the rest of us, you're keeping the entire culture back. <laughs> you understand? So, you know, it, it does. It, there is a little bit of growth, a little bit of challenge that you have to have in order for us all to proceed, you know, and... Anyone who's reluctant to do that, anyone who's reluctant to look at the structure of things and not say, well, I want to change it so the next generation doesn't have to go through this, they're they're doing something that's going to affect the rest of us. It's a cycle that will never end unless people stop and do that thing. Look, like, see how Alfred's talking about his, his wanting to do it for his son, not so much for himself, but, hey, my son's going to grow up. I have a son, too. I have two daughters. I have to want for women to have a better role in society because I want a better role for them. It's not about it's not me about me feeling good about me. I help women get something. No. I want them to have every opportunity that a man is supposed to enjoy on his own. You know what I'm saying? I want them to not have to encounter that glass ceiling and not have to encounter being paid less or being promoted less or being thought of as less. Because of their gender, it's not you know you have to not if not for yourself. Think about the cat. Think about the ones that are coming after us. I don't want my son growing up and thinking that he can just slap a woman around because she's a woman and he's a man. That's ridiculous. So of course I want that to change. I don't want him to be that kind of man. If you're not willing to do that, then you know you're screwing us for generations. You know. Exactly, and as as a as a as a side note, we look at the uh, negative aspects of recognizing these different privileges. What 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 could happen? Well, I could teach my son that as a male in a, in a patriarchy, he will be almost always chosen over a female. Maybe in turn that might help him understand the plight of a female. Uh, him learning that as a black male, his place in society won't always be dependent upon his personal effort and that in some cases he'll have to be twice as good as his peers. Well, him knowing that will explain why he is discriminated against on no ground and there's really no way that he can discern himself that his own performance was at fault. So instead of him, I don't know, thinking that he's just a failure and might enable him to understand that some people just don't care and they don't want you in that position. Um, I don't know. Maybe informing him that if you are a homosexual uh, in this country, hopefully when he grows up, this will stop. But many can just get beaten up, you know, great, especially female, and killed just for being a homosexual. Maybe that, I don't know, uh, might enable him to understand the plight of homosexuals and so he won't contribute to it. Just I, I, I can't really think of anything negative that would come out of acknowledging the adversities that others face. And it, it it's really amazing that 
people who do realize this, and there are a few that I know that that recognize this and don't want to change. But it's it, 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 that, that does not confound me because they know that their place in this society is advantageous. Why change it if they are there in that position and that they gain from it and that their offspring can gain from it? Why should any of it change? Why should we progress? Why don't we go back 50 or 60 years in the good old times that people tout as being the, one of the best times in history well, for certain folks? But, you know, it, it's it's often touted as that, uh, I think they call it the golden years. So, well, what do you think would happen? Well, oh, well, if you were particularly a white heterosexual male with a family, you had the advantage. You could beat your wife. You could go kill a few minorities. You could do a lot of stuff. Not not everybody, but you could. But if you were uh, a white male that was homosexual and wanted to marry your longtime partner, you could probably catch a quick case of death uh, in the public, and nobody would care. So why why are we regressive? Why are we in this mindset that going backwards is a good thing? Why are we in this mindset that like you said, remaining stagnant mentally is a positive thing. And it it, it really <laughs> confounds me as to why someone would, I guess, rely on that sort of rationale as a strength and as something that you need to show out and feel just that this is the most correct way to do things. But like I said, you have to look at who's in the advantage, who is uh, who advances themselves toward their goal at the expense of everyone else. So I think that is very important here. And I'm uh, one of my uh, one of my uh, cousins trying. I think he's trying to get in the line. So I'm gonna I'm gonna ride this thing out to the end and see if he actually gets on, has something to contribute in the last 18 minutes. Is there, um, I don't know, I think Kellen's still off the line, and uh, is Steve still on the line? No, Steve fell off. I'm still here, and my Steve dropped. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm still with you guys. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I, 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 I think in some times, like I said, when you look at a lot of these things that are still being held on to, you know, to your question, Al, I I honestly think that there's a profit motive behind it. I think it, when you look at a lot of things that are still being maintained, even though, like I said, all the facts have been brought to the table to show that this line of thought or this line of action or this line of law or policy is flawed, it's still being maintained. I think it's because someone's making money. Someone in 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 a, in a lot of, in a lot of these scenarios, there's some kind of benefit being um, gained. In the last in the 2010 elections, a lot of that. Let's take it back to those good old days that you mentioned. That was that was political and that was political incentive. That got people into office. And and here's the joke with that. You know, when we look back at the Tea Party, stuff like that, all of those politicians that monopolized on that vitriol, that monopolized on that 
regressive way of thinking and got themselves back into office, they were deadlocked. They weren't able to do anything. Even though, you know, when you look at a lot of those those conservative um, individuals that went and gave into that fringe that fringe section of the right and gave into those take America back people. Once they got in the office, they couldn't do anything unless it was just way out radical and went against a lot of their principles. A, a perfect example would be, in my mind, John McCain, who seemed to me for a very long time to be a very rational individual. But because he wanted political office, he gave in to folks that, for the most part, he couldn't even be in the same room with. And this was over his over a, a very, I think, for a very long time, that term maverick as applied to him was well-deserved because I liked him as a candidate, as a person, you know. And then he gave in to this fringe, and then he found once he gave in to them, when he saw what he had given into, you know, he couldn't even believe what he just did. But there's some kind of incentive involved. There's some kind of money involved, something to keep this going. If we try to be, I think, when you apply a lot of things, when you look at the legal system, why are these laws still in effect, even though we are well we're aware of the regressive impact that they have? It's because prisons profit off of people being put in jail. So why change the law the, if the bottom line is for us to make money off of people being in prison? You, you, you see what I'm saying? Something, some, some kind, some, someone is benefiting from it. I don't think it's not always financial, clearly, because we've seen people take political action with it, and it's not always um, political because there are people who are clearly making money off of it. So I, I, that's the only explanation that I have. I, I don't think I, I really can't. It really scares me to think that. Folks just wanted to be this way because they wanted to be this way, even though they have been given new information, new knowledge, and there's facts out there to show that this way of thinking is flawed. Um, it, it can only be that someone's benefiting from it, either either with influence or, or money, or both. Of course. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, if you can maintain the social structure... Why change? Why yeah. Why anything? It, it, it's like I stated before. Hey, if I'm going to benefit, and my son and my their future spawn are going to benefit, why should I change anything? Why not go back to the way things were when I really had things good for me? Hmm. But a lot of folks are under the impression that uh, going back only entails certain portions of that. And that's not true. You can see that in the, the current struggles with women. And admittedly, yeah. I, it's hard for me to understand the plight of women. I have a vagina. I, I, it, it's hard for me to understand this invasive uh, dialogue about regulating women's reproductive rights. I can sympathize with it because it is just horrible that somebody can do that legally, but I, it's hard. So yeah. I have to work with, you know, feminists. I have to work with, you know, any female to try and understand this because it is messed up, and I know it is, but it's not uh, it's not impossible. I won't be able to 100% understand it because I lack the proper equipment, but I can empathize because it does affect the women around me, including my wife, including any, you know, females I might have and any females in my family, neighbors, so on and so forth. So, 
you know, just because you have not walked a mile in that person's shoes doesn't mean that you can't empathize with them and help build them up, whether it's, you know, physically, mentally, financially, or what have you. Right. Definitely. I, I mean, I, again, I think I think being a, a father to daughters has made me a better man. Um, because I'm like you, I, I, I can empathize a lot, but uh, and and a lot of what I previously thought about women's rights and women's issues. When you want a lot of tape but don't have a lot of time, try Velveeta Cheesy Skillet Singles. In just 60 seconds, you can create delicious food just for you and great tasting choices like. Hmm. I didn't know we were doing commercials now. <laughs> right, that was me. That was Kelvin. Kelvin, I think he forgets that uh, he was on the line, but I muted him. So there you go. <laughs> wow. <a> commercial break. <laughs> uh, no, I I was saying that, you know, it, I think it made me a better a better man being a father to daughters, because most of my understanding or most of my feelings about women's issues. It was just me. It, it, I think it was just from basic human human rights. Like, listen, that's not right what you're doing. And I didn't really have an emotional. Um, if I said, well, yeah, of course I'm against you know somebody taking rules or making law against women's reproductive rights. It was coming from a very basic place. Not to say that it was a bad place or a misinformed place. I just didn't have really any real incentive. And, but now I've got my own daughters. And they're growing up faster than I I ever thought they would. They're you know they're, they're every day they're growing taller, and of course they're becoming women. And seeing that now, I have an emotional stake in those things. I don't want to see them come to harm. I don't want to see anybody try to harm them. I don't want anybody trying to do something to them that I would not do. So of course now I have a stake in the matter. So. Um, even though I don't understand, uh, even though I I can at least now try to see things or at least try to understand things a little bit more, it's it's made me a little more attentive uh, uh, to them and to and to the situation of women because they're going to be stepping into some things and I think, of course, I want to be more active because if I don't do something. If I don't stand up, and I live in one of those states where they love passing stupid laws like that here in Florida, you know, I'm sorry, guys, it's the South. I got to keep apologizing for here. But, you know, if I don't do something and if I don't take a more of a, uh, not not so much emotional toll, but take a more, take a more, uh, a tougher stance or a stance for them, you know, what am I sending them into when they become women and they, they have to leave my home? You know, so yeah, I completely understand where you come from. Oh yeah, we I have live, a call. I live in I live in Virginia, so I know what you're talking about. <laughs> there you go. We have a caller on the line. We have Quinn. He wanted to contribute to the conversation. Quinn, you're on the line. Yeah. Hello. Hello. Hey. Hello. Hi. Hey, hey doing, Quinn? Hmm. Yeah, I'm all right. I'm about you guys. Chilling, brother. That's good. Now, y'all continue. I'm just listening to what you guys got to say first. Okay. <laughs> this, this All right. My, uh, that's my you hear me? nephew. Yeah, oh, we can yeah. hear you, Gwen. Oh, okay, good. All right. I'm not going crazy. 
It's cool. And I'm trying to get more people to, to interact with this because the more people to interact with this sort of dialogue, the more people want it. And mm-hmm. that's the reason I was on my phone, uh, you know, on on speakerphone, trying to make it to the show. And, of course, I, my wife just gave me her phone. So I'm like, well, I don't have the number in here, so let me just search through these 50,000 messages on Facebook to try and find it. But because this mm-hmm. is actually a, a really integral part of my personal growth. I can't tell you how much I've grown mentally just from listening uh, oh man, almost a year ago to Black Free Thinkers. I don't even remember how I came about it. I, I don't I don't remember. I just remember calling in one day, interacting with uh, Kim and some of the others, and even on the Magic Sandwich show, uh, interacting with different people and learning about Black monolith, learning about white privilege, learning about all types of intersectionality that I still have to go back to fully understand and how it affects everyone in an everyday life. And it's not just this railing against religious people. It's not railing against white people. It's not railing against all, you know, the big bad boogeyman. It's about learning and being outside yourself and attempting to walk in someone else's shoes even though you physically do not. It starts with itself. It starts, you know, with you. It starts with your growth personally. Do you yeah, think you would, Do you think you would feel that way if you was, you know, if you, you if you was living in the 1800s? Yeah, I, I look. I sometimes I look back at you know my ancestors, right? And in order to understand the things that that our ancestors do, you have to look at what they were going through, you know, and what they were being taught. Hey, hey Quinn, go ahead and put the uh, put mute on your phone. Yeah, I'm on the phone. Um, oh, yeah. Was that Quinn? Yeah, I, I think so. It's, um, oh. it's hard to say. The reason we have these types of dialogues now is because we have access to so much knowledge. People mm-hmm. back then didn't have access to the knowledge we do yeah. now. That is why you're seeing, uh, you know, more and more people become non-religious because they can actually do their own research and they don't have to rely on what about. You're seeing more yeah. people becoming, um, you know, they're not becoming homophobic because they're learning that these misconceptions are not true, particularly by uh, organizations like the Family Research Council, which is officially been labeled a hate group because of the misinformation that they actively put out. Mm-hmm. It is because of this advent of technology that we've had in the last 20 years that we've been able to dispel so much ignorance. And we can only continue. Hello? Do we still do we still have Alfred? Alfred, you still there? Uh, let's see here, because I'm here. I hear Deborah and Alfred dropped. So yeah, he dropped off there. Okay. Okay. But we're down to the last few minutes of the show anyway. But um, again, with the last five minutes actually. But I mean. This is probably part one of many because there is yeah. so much ground can be covered under this mm-hmm. particular topic. 
and we got basically the rudiments, the preliminaries out of the way today so that people could get a basic understanding of where you guys were coming from and why it's important for people to understand all the different aspects of this. It's not necessarily just about race, racism or sexism or um, um, heteronormative biases. I mean, it encompasses many different things. And so that's what, you know, we were trying to convey and get across today. Yeah, and uh, I think we were rather successful. Again, you know, it, it could have just been one thing. And, uh, you know, he's not on the line right now, but we got to give Alfred a lot of credit for looking, and, and, and this is the real progressive thing, for looking at it from so many different angles to, or thinking yeah, of exactly. looking at it from another perspective. This yeah. could have been a situation where we were just talking about, you know, privilege as it pertains to race right. or even right. sexuality, but we've taken it onto a whole, it's it's class, it's it's it's. Our nationality It's all kinds of things If you have a gun or not things There's so many things at play And I think um, When we when we, we now have a chance to break things down And I, this is where I believe Real progress starts I agree with Kim This is not going to be a single episode Encapsulated episode This might be a series of conversations That we have on on different things And maybe this is how we start Breaking down those walls I don't think anybody that that got a chance to listen to tonight's show is going to take on a lot of these issues the same way anymore. I know I won't. At least, you know, even though this seed may have been in my head, it was cultivated this evening. I know I won't be walking into a lot of discussions the same way because now I'm looking at it from, well, gee, how can I, what can I do in myself to change this situation and things like that? Um so, or and to look at whoever I'm speaking with in a, in a different way too. So, um, hats off to Alfred for that. I really, I really enjoyed the opportunity to to be a part of that. Exactly. Yeah. Sorry, my internet just decided to go out, <laughs> so I grabbed my phone. But yeah, and that's something I had to look at too. You know, when facing many roadblocks while trying to um, have just a civil discourse with several people, and it, it's like I said, it starts with yourself. If you yourself cannot view this subject, then you have to be addressed from that point, and then you have to allow yourself to open up to the person you're speaking to and see if they are legitimately opening themselves up because you're gonna you might be coming to an impasse, but more than likely you'll make some headway in some way, shape or form, and that's just gonna plant the seed, mhm, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, again, you know, it's about growth. It's about growth. It's about understanding. It's about compassion. It's about building bridges, if you will, and for a better understanding so that we can grow and evolve as human beings. But not only that, this information and this knowledge is meant to be shared. It's meant to educate not only ourselves but other people. And that's the focus of these shows and trying to, you know, extrapolate as much information from a particular topic and put the information out there so that we can all grow as a community. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I, I think it's a beautiful thing. Hmm. I really oh, do. always. Always. <laughs> Quinn, did you have anything? Hmm? 
enough. Is Quinn still on the phone? Oh, Quinn. Let me let me pull Quinn back in. I put him on mute. Okay. I want to see if he has something in before we play uh, play Ali's theme song. <laughs> <laughs> Quinn, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. I didn't I listen the entire time. Uh, say it again. All right. Well, uh, I'm listening the entire time. So yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's cool. All right. Yeah. All right, Kim. Go ahead and wrap it up. All right, guys. Have a great weekend. You guys, right. you guys too. All right. Bye bye. Black free thinkers, where we walk by sight with a bright flashlight to illuminate night.